1: Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Tuesday, Tuesday, December twentieth. It's getting cold outside. It's getting cold. It's getting cold in the DFS streets, right? We'll be talking about whatever the hell you want. It's toss up Tuesday. It's toss up, tossing up. It's up to you in the YouTube chat. We can talk about the NFL slate coming up on Saturday, NBA just general stuff, whatever you want. And the totals, wow. I, ju- I mean, I just brought, brought up the NFL stuff. I mean, some of these totals, geez. What the hell's going on? What, what's going on in Cleveland? Is, 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 is it supposed to be like a, Is are they supposed to get like an avalanche or something like that? I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a total that was 31 and a half. Cleveland, New Orleans, 17, 14. I mean, look at this. Look at this stuff. Are there any points going to be scored? Any fantasy points going to be scored on, on Saturday? Look at these totals, 37 and a half. This is, I mean, uh, Detroit, Carolina, 44 and a half. Oh, my God. That's a high score, right? Buffalo, Chicago is barely over 40. KC Seattle, okay, I guess that, that's that's the game to target, maybe. Minnesota, new, okay, that's inside a dome. Minnesota, the Giants. Bengals, Patriots is barely over 40. Tennessee, Houston, that's like nothing, 37 and a half. San Fran, Washington's under 40. I guess the Cowboys against the Eagles. But I'm assuming, what, uh, Gardner Minshew is going to start for, for Hertz for the Eagles? It's, well, got a lot of low totals. A lot of low totals. Oh, Adam Eisen in chat says eight degrees, wind and snow in Cleveland. As of right now. Right? we uh, Look what happened. Last, look at what happened on Saturday with Buffalo. Everyone was talking about, oh my God, there's going to be a million a million inches of snow, and during game time it was fine, right on the field. So maybe it won't be, but I mean, obviously the total is low regardless. But whatever, give me those thumbs ups in the chat. Give me the dummy thumbs early in the morning. Bart B, Wataz, Adam, Dana Ludens, Dave Clark, Suki. Suki's late. 11.01 a.m. I wow, woke up late. So, what do you want to talk about? Talk about whatever you want. It's toss up, toss up Tuesday. I was talking with a couple of uh DFS players last night about, about uh, how I learned how to play DFS, right? Because now there's so much, there's so much more information now. So many more tools, so much more content, strategic on how to play. And people still still disregard it. 95% of people will watch this show and go, nah, ain't gonna do it. And they'll be losing players long term, and that's fine. They're fine. Play for entertainment. Don't listen to me. It's perfectly fine. But how did I learn? I learned primarily by by reading, by reading old Roto Grinders content. And and there were books, the Four Smart People series. That was by Jonathan Bales. Once I found once I found Jonathan Bales's content, I just read everything and watched every show that he was ever on. That's, that's what I did. So, I mean, you could even do that now. So, you could, I, I went to John Bales. He has all these articles. Now, a lot of the concepts that he's talking about are kind of rudimentary compared to what we know now, but the concepts still apply. Is GPP success all about seeking upside, late swap tips, tracking your results? My approach to fi- giant 50-50s, how to benefit from randomness, right? These are from like 2014, right? 2014, 2015. The effective overlay on bankroll management, but just the concepts that are in here are like, like core game the- theory based strategic concepts for, for anything. But obviously when I was first starting playing DFS, I, I was, I don't know what I was doing. I was look. I was looking for that type of content. Okay, this is where's the poker content for DFS. Like that's how I learned how to play poker, where it's not where it's not just oh, you make the best hand and win the pot. Like no, the, the game has to be much more strategic than that. So the two the two people that I gravitated to the most back in 2015 2016 were Jonathan Bales and Drew Dinkmeyer, okay? And the two quotes, and I think each of them have have a quote, a very well-known quote attributed to them that highlight probably the two core concepts of DFS. Like if you were to distill how to play DFS into two core concepts, the quotes by each of them, they were which were made seven years ago plus years ago whatever still apply today and they still matter jonathan bales his quote that he's had in multiple of his articles and and shows back then was about dfs is not about scoring the most points it's about scoring more points than your opponents and that's the concept of relative value that's what i you know i do talk i that's Main main concept in theory 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 of DFS, relative value, the value of your points versus your opponent's points. When people talk about, oh, I need to score two hundred and twenty in NFL to win a GPP, like that doesn't mean anything. I need to I need to score four hundred in NBA. That doesn't mean anything. You just need to score more points than your opponents. That's it. If you want to come in first place? Just score one more point than the second place finisher. It doesn't matter what the score is. So then when you you understand, fully understand and grasp that concept, then you think in terms of, well, how do I get points that my opponents don't have? And how do I avoid points that they think my opponents think they're getting that they end up not getting? And that's where ownership comes in and the relative value of points. So Jonathan Bales, his quote, It's not about scoring the most points. It's about scoring more points than your opponents. They sound the same, but they're not. That's the concept of relative value. And then Drew Dinkmeyer, way back then, way back before I even started playing. I started playing October 2015. His quote, and he still says it today. It's not about how often you win. It's about how much you win when you do. And he's he's altered it and shortened it. He said it, he said it that type of thing very di- slightly different ways. It's not about winning, it's how much you win when you win. You know, like something like that. Which what is what does that highlight? The concept of expected value. It's not how often you win; it's about how much you win when you win. The same concept in, in, any, in any gambling endeavor. Like, oh, I'm not. I'm did, this bet is plus eight hundred. It's like, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna win that often, but if you should be getting paid, if you if you uh, if the actual probability is plus four hundred. And you're getting paid plus 800. That means you're profitable. Just understand it. Only, it'll only happen, you know, one out of five times. So expected value. That's especially for GPPs. When people are like, oh, I haven't, I've been cashed." Right. My, 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 favorite. My favorite is, oh, I've been playing a couple of weeks and I rarely ever cash. Right. I've been playing for a month. Right. This, this is what you'll hear. I've been playing for for a month. I've been playing five days a week for a month. I've only cashed, like I cashed like four times. Like that's it. I've I've only cashed four times. I played five days a week for a month and I've only cashed four times. Am I doing something wrong? Jordan, I listen to your stuff. I listen to it. I'm trying to implement it. I played five, I played NBA Monday through Friday for a month, for four weeks. Not only have I not come in first, but I've only even cashed four times in that month. One time I cashed for 2X, another cash was 2X, another one was 3X, another one was 5X. But I only cashed four times this month. Playing five days a week. Do you, do you, do. You, I, I'm 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 highlighting it so hopefully it sinks into you. What it means. Right. Someone that doesn't understand DFS will think of that and go, "Yeah, that sucks. You only cash four times in twenty slates. Wow. You must be bad." You must be getting bad advice. But think about it. Most GPPs, if you're playing it, only pay out the top 20% or so, right? 80% of the field will not get paid in a GPP. So if everyone was equal, if everyone, if every lineup was equal, and you played for five days, your expectation on average would be to cash one out of those five days that you place in a cashing spot 80% of the time you won't and 20% of the time you will so one day you will cash and four days you won't in a five if you play five days a week which means you do that four times for a month how many times do you cash on average four times when you come to me and you say oh i only cashed four times in 20 slates i go and what's what's the what's the problem here like isn't that bad it's like no that's expected how much money did you win when you cashed out of those four times it's like well 2x 2x 3x 5x it's like okay so what's your overall roi like well, negative or whatever. It's like okay, it's going to keep on going down. Try now. Try to make you're going to cash four out of twenty times, or even less than that. Are you playing lineups that could get even further up on that pay scale? That's what you should be concerned about. Now, how often do you cash? Because you're playing lineups where you're cashing more often, but not winning as much. You're 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 gonna you lose. You're gonna bleed money away. So it's not about how often you win, how often you cash, how often who cares how often? How much did you win when you win? Right? I get I get I get trolls every once in a while in my DMs or sometimes not in my sometimes just pure mentions. I don't know how anyone takes advice for you. I barely see you win. Right. And they're all looking at her like screenshots. Right? I've only seen you post. I, I think so. I've only seen you post like three or four big screenshots this year. I go well. Thank you. Then say well. I don't know how people listen to you when you you only I only see you win big like three or four times in a year. I go well. How many more times should I be winning? I'm I make a lot of money winning three or four times a year. Like that's where most of my profit comes from. That's well. Welcome to DFS. That's the point. No one one wins that amount every other day. That doesn't exist. So you should be playing in a manner, if you're a GPP player, almost all the equity is in the top spots. So you're aiming for that. So when you win, when I play the 555 in MMA, I'm aiming for, for 30 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, whatever it is. How many times I cash? doesn't matter as much. If I could play that every day, every, every week, if I if I win first place twice, it's a, it's a ton of profit. And how many MMA slates there are there in a year? Maybe 40, 42, something like that? I could lose all the other slates. I could not cash in any of those other slates. If I win first place twice, I'm wildly profitable. It's not about how often you win. It's about how much you win when you win. That's the second that's I mean that's that's the core of expected value anyway. So once you have those two concepts, they rule everything in in, in DFS. I mean everything essentially is part of those two concepts of either relative value or expected value. Well, understanding both of them, you, you, you won. That's it. You take that tree underneath there and everything's related to those two. And those two I learned seven years ago from Jonathan Bales and Drew Dinkmeyer and other pe- there were other people, right? You go through some of these articles and when we used to have the forums, the old forum posts, a lot of the older videos aren't up anymore. That they were back in 2015, 2016, like you used to. I, I, I would I would go back to 2014, some NFL show from Week Seven slate, something like that, and just watch and just. Jonathan Bales is on. Let me let me let me watch and see. I don't know. I don't know the players or anything. I'm just trying to hear concepts of like how how are people how do you think about the game? Just like how do you think like a professional DFS player. And the thing that I was looking for back in 2015 was the theory of daily fantasy sports. Like it was, it, DFS was big enough that I'm like, someone, where's the theory of poker for DFS? No one made it. I I decided to two years ago. I said, if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. There should be something like this, and there was. If you go through content over the course of since DFS has been around, all these concepts are out there. People have written about it piecemeal. This and here on shows, people mentioning stuff, but not all in one spot. So I'm looking like, where's the theory of poker for DFS? Well, I'll make it. And just like David Sklansky and Mason Malmuth, like they weren't, they weren't the greatest poker players in the world, but they were successful middle limit professional players, cash game players. And they teach very, and then their teaching style is very, a little bit dry. But I mean, that's what I like. So why can't I do it? So there you go. So that's what I'm, when I say I didn't invent these concepts. These concepts are it's math. I didn't invent math. But how did I start thinking like a professional DFS player about a profitable player, primarily Jonathan Bales and Drew Dinkemeyer? All I needed to hear way back then. Is it's not about how often you win, but how, how much you win when you win, and then and then things start to click and you go, Yeah, if I'm playing this contest and here's the payout curve, and it's hockey sticks up over there. Like I, I can't cash enough. If everything was if everyone was equal, every whole lineups were equal, had the same expected value. Like, how do you make money without coming in the top spots? You can't. So the money that's in the cat around the cash line is almost irrelevant. So like you should be aiming, aiming for first. You're just not going to win that often. You're just going to be losing a lot until you win. Dave Clark says, One day an amazing DFS player will say, I learned by watching Blender over and over and over again. Yeah, well. It could be you. It could be you. None, none of this is that complicated. <sighs> James Aguirre says, if you guys are in a marriage you hate, just grind every slate DK offers this weekend. You'll thank me this, next week. Why? Why? So that'll get you a divorce? I'm, I'm going to be playing Saturday's Saturday's NFL slate. Not Sunday. But like my 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 wife's family, whatever, they typically just they hang out on one day. So we're going up on Christmas Day, not Christmas Eve. So let's on, on Saturday. I'm just like any other, just like any other day. Not doing anything special. A S comedy, the key to DFS is making sure the 20% you do cash, you get enough in the top one percent to pay it all back. That's correct. That welcome to GPP life. Now, if you're playing cash, if you're playing double ups, obviously that's different. If you're playing head to heads, that's that's a different that's a different game. But even though there are a lot of people that understand intellectually, understand that you're gonna you're only gonna maybe cash 20, 10 to 20 percent of the time. and it's a matter of how much you win in those in those in those instances people still don't have an emotional understanding of variance poker players do more than anything that's why i think a lot of poker players are successful at dfs or successful dfs players do have poker backgrounds where the variance in poker is like way less than it is in dfs and poker has a ton of variance especially if you're maybe if you're a tournament poker player more so than a cash game player if you play to, if you're a tournament poker player imagine telling a tournament imagine imagine going to a torn a, a tournament poker player okay who play who professionally plays tournaments so that they're, they're going around the world they're playing WPT events they're playing you know the World Series of poker they're playing all that type of stuff imagine going to them going, uh, I don't think you're a very good poker player. I mean, you've only you've only won 3 tournaments this year. That would be absurd. If you won 3 3 of the 10k plus buy-in large field tournaments like that, you'd you'd be like you'd be uh you'd be nominated for card for player of the year. You'd be like poker tournament poker player of the year. If you won 3 if you, got, if you if you if you played 30 tournaments in a year and you made like five final tables like that that's like that that's that's amazing okay so think of that that related to dfs it's like oh i can't oh you you played you played uh, uh you, you play every day and you only you you only won you only won in Bloodfield gpp three or four times a year or whatever you only like like dude that says that's great that's, that's that's the goal It's the non. It's the it's the people that have not learned DFS, not learned statistics, not learned about relative value, expected value, variance. That don't understand that they think it's a matter of, oh, if you're a good fantasy sports player, you 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 could predict what's going to happen on Sunday. Oh, you didn't predict what happened on Sunday. Oh, you're bad. Doesn't matter how much he pays or whatever like that. Doesn't matter that Miles Sanders is thirty percent owned for no reason. Doesn't matter that you played a five percent J- Josh Jacobs. Oh, he didn't do well. It's like, but in comparison to what he could have done, Ramondre Stevenson was low owned this past week. How did you know that he was gonna? He was just he was in nineteen for one seventy two. I didn't know anything. All I knew is that his in his range of outcomes that outcome exists much higher than 5% of the time of what he's going to be owned. That's it. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to happen on Sunday. Just comparing probabilities. That's it. That's all it is. Just comparing probabilities. That's why Clay Davis in the YouTube chat, do you have a strategy for prize picks? Yeah. The strategy is to look at your projections Right, Your statistical projections for whatever you're looking at and look at the line. And if there's a big enough discrepancy get the uh, over or under on that. That's it. That's it. James McGuire, do you play baseball cash blender? I, I typically don't play double ups in MLB. I'll play the triple ups and contuffle ups. MLb with the amount of variance there is is very is very exploitable in the in the 3x the 5x type contests so this past season I started playing three mans five mans triple ups can tuple ups and essentially what I'll do is I'll see what optimal lineups are going to be played and I try to play a lineup that's like three or four points lower than that, that shares the least amount of people. And I purposely try to play the better players because I can predict their lineups better. So I'll play three mans with McLovin and, and, and BK Reader. And a lot of times I could predict exactly what they're going to play or one of like three or four lineups they're going to play. You know, I aggregate projections, you know, look at the bad optimal. And go, okay, if, ever, if, if most people are playing this, I'm going to try to find as, as much of a combinational difference, combinatorial difference between that, that gives up the least amount of projection. And be, and because I'm sacrificing projection, I need to get 3x, 5x, 10x payout because of it. But a lot of times I'm competing against the same lineup. I'm hoping my opponents dupe. And if they don't dupe exactly, they're duping in eight spots. They're duping in six, seven, eight spots. So if, you know, if I, could, if I could beat one of my opponents, I typically could beat all of my opponents. And then I get paid handsomely for that. You can do that in any sport. Just a, ma- just a matter of how predictive you could pre- you could think the other lineups in your trip they have to be triples ups and tuple. you have to get paid more you're pl- you're purposely playing a worse lineup you're purposely playing a worse lineup but your lineup you' you're trying to play a lineup that is worse but not is much less worse than you getting paid 3x to 5x right it's a lineup that's five percent worse than your opponents Right, if it's five percent worse, you should be getting one point, one point one, right, rather than one X. You know, instead of doubling your money, you should get a little bit more than that. But when it comes to tripling your money, then you could play a lineup that is several points lower projected, especially if you know what your opponents are playing. So that's what I'd be doing more of. You can do that in any sport, as long as you're able to predict predict lineups. If you don't know how to predict if you can't predict lineups, then how do you know that you're a 6v6 or a 4v4? You don't know. Then you end up playing it. Then now now you end up playing it. You end up duping with someone else. And you go, I I, I didn't know this, this guy, I don't know this lineup was going to be played. Like, how did you not? If you just ran aggregate projections, you would have gotten that lineup. So you need to know that in order to exploit it. Is that, is that considered cash games? I don't know. The, the difference you know, you shouldn't be thinking in terms of cash and GPP. Every contest is different. We lump contests together as a designation, but it, you shouldn't be playing them the same. So yeah, cash contests tend to be head-to-heads, double-ups, triple-ups, three-mans, like cash that's a it's a poker term and gpps like there's a big difference between playing the three dollar play action with seven million people in it or whatever and playing playing the thunderdome with 32 people in it i mean like that it's two different things they're both yes they're both gpps but they're two completely different games but we lump them all again as guaranteed prize payouts or guaranteed prize pools because that's what they got tournaments like it's not really a tournament. We're using kind of these poker terms or terms that people, you know, said from back in the day in DFS, 2011. But every contest is different. A&S Comedy says the biggest advice I took away from you is finding the weakest opponents. Been grinding tears and showdowns and found it much easier to grind my bank call. That, that would be, yes. I've said, I said, one of the, the, the number one thing that will affect. Your ROI. Number one by far is the opponents that you play. Right? And that comes that comes down to that first concept, right? Jonathan Bales. Still, it's all everything you can talk about comes down to those two quotes. Right? Oh, I'm, I'm gonna find the weakest opponents. Well, it's not about scoring the most points. It's about scoring more points than your opponents. And if you can find opponents that on average score much less than you. Then you don't need to score the height. You don't need to... Who cares about scoring the most points? Right? Imagine imagine you build a lineup this past late. I think the cash line double-ups was like 125. Imagine building a lineup that only scored 104 points and you made $10,000. You go, how did you do that? Well, you found someone. You, you found someone to play a 10K head-to-head that only scored 101. Like, that would be better than, like, well... But your lineup was really bad in double ups. I said, yeah, but I found a weak, I I I played against people that are worse than me. So I don't need to be the best. I just need to be better than them, right? How do you find all those opponents? There aren't as many, you're probably not going to find a 10K head to head like that, but finding where the edges are. Well, everyone's playing this. Who cares what everyone is playing? What's your goal? The smaller the bankroll you have, the more the more picky you should be. you are like I'm going to play $50 in volume. You should be playing the best $50 you can get in. The best possible. If you're trying to play $5,000, you may not be able to find the best the first $50 that you find, like we could really select and bum hunt and find the edge. I'm going to play the turbo slate here. I'm going to play the tiers slate there. And find five dollars of value there, and ten dollars of value there. Well, if you're playing five thousand dollars of volume, it doesn't make up that much. Right? You're not going to find five thousand dollars worth of that type of edge. So I can understand not focusing so much on spending all your time trying to find a dollar here and a dollar there. But if you're playing on a small bankroll, that you should be you should be finding the biggest edges you possibly can. You should be very discerning with. The bankroll allocation that you put in for a slate. Well, I'm going to play this double up because I played every week. Well, why? Because I played every week. That's not a reason. First, put in your money to places where you can get it in the best first. Then expand from there. I've talked to so many, so many people that, like they, they. Go, oh, I play a hundred. I play a hundred dollars worth of volume. In cash games or something, and you know, twenty dollars in GPPs or whatever they do. They're like, I play the the large single entry twenty-five dollar double up, the large single entry five dollar double up. I go, why? Why are you playing in either of those? I said, be yeah, it, but I'm playing the law. I'm playing the large stuff. Shouldn't I be playing the largest field possible? So, you know, but I said, why aren't you just playing the one dollar and the two dollar stuff? I said, oh, I'm playing that that also, but I, I play some of those. I said, why don't you play all of those? It's like, the one dollar double ups will not have like the top three hundred or four hundred cash players in it because they're limited. They're restricted from those contests. So why don't you just play all of them? You're only playing a hundred dollars worth of cash. You could play you could play why can't you put fifty one dollar head to heads? Why can't you do that? Twenty five two dollar head to heads, you're done. Like why do you have to even have to play any double ups? It's like, well, because I always play the double Why?
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Why do you want to play contests with people that, that are highly profitable? You know, once you get up to the $5 contest, I'm in them, right? Papa Gates is in them. McLovin is in, everyone's in them. Don't you want to avoid those people? Now, if you're playing $5,000 worth of volume, you can't you can't avoid those people. Then I can understand. Then yeah, sure. In order to get the volume in and you still have a positive ROI, maybe a smaller ROI, but you'll take more, more raw money then. But if you're only playing $50, $100 a slate, dude, you could, especially in the NFL, you got an entire week. To pick out contests and really spend every, every hour. Turn on your alarm. Then peruse the lobby. Go into the three-mans and find people with not without an experience badge. Find the off slates, right? Find right, head-to-heads. And someone posted a $20 tiers head-to-head that I've never heard of. Someone that, without a badge. Well, there you go. There's your tiers lineup. Well, do I play any other con? No, you, you literally, for the tiers... May only be playing that $20 head to head, and that's it. That's literally it. But most likely, you have a decent advantage over that per- An inexperienced person. You're probably 60, 40 or better against them. Natural, and, that's your, and how much volume are you playing? Well, I'm only playing like $200, $100, $200. Right. So $20 head to head is a lot of volume in comparison to what you're playing that week. But all you're doing is picking, picking, and piecing together. Where's the edge? Where can I find the weakest opponents? And based on the context of the slate, based on what my opponents are going to do, how can I exploit that the most? Instead, people think they start with, well, what lineup should I play? What should I play? Should I play Christian McCaffrey this week? Is Justin Jefferson going to get a lot of targets? It's like, dude, you can figure all that out like a half an hour before the slate starts. Like who cares? You you already got all the projections. You already got all the numbers. You got the ownership. Everything's gonna everything is gonna be updated for you. The inactives are gonna come in ninety minutes before lock, right? An hour before lock, you're gonna have all that information. So uh, you're gonna have that already. It's Tuesday. What are you looking at? You to, You should be looking at where the where are the bad players. Where are the good contests? Where Where should I play? Right? Fanduel. Let me take a look at Fanduel. Let me take a look at Yahoo. And this is especially true if you're on a smaller bankroll. You could be so much more discerning. Get your money in real good. And you keep on getting your money in real good. You have a much higher ROI. And then you build your bankroll up much quicker that way. And as you go up in volume, then you have to make sacrifices. Then it's like, should I be spending five hours a week, you know, bum hunting the $1 head-to-head lobby in tears contest? Is there a better way to spend my time? Because maybe you only find three one dollar head to heads. And back when you were only playing fifty dollars a slate, three one dollar head to heads that you could find of guys that you are playing injured players was worthwhile. But now that you're playing thousand dollars a slate, the extra three dollars, I'm going to spend. I'm going to spend five hours looking for that. Okay, I can understand you're not doing it then. That's what you should be doing on a small bank. That's what you should do when you're a beginner, right? Because most, most, most players are going to be better than you. So if you can find people even worse than you, that then you have more of a shot. NBOT says, found Blender May 2021. Okay. Not that long ago, right? A year, year and a half ago. I had my first win in January 2022 and I'm, $20,000 total in 2022, plus $20,000. And I could certainly attribute my process to watching these videos in 2021, building lineups, not players. Well, thank you. Strawface23 would love to hear more strategy and game theory stuff on small field stuff. I hate when it's always grouped together with all GPPs. It's all the same concept. There's no, there's no difference. Other than in smaller field GPPs, you're competing against less people, which means the score that you need to win is going to most likely be further and further away from the nuts, which means you could win with a a lower score and you have to beat less people. Because Remember, it's not about scoring the most points. It's about scoring more points than your opponent's. So because you're competing against less people, it means you don't need to sacrifice as much projection for relative value purposes. In the large field stuff, you have to beat 30,000, 50,000, a hundred thousand lineups. That lineup is probably, probably you have to score more points because it's just more lineups that you're competing against. So what's the scale that's all you should be thinking about is, is a scale on the spectrum. If you're playing a 10-man contest. Should you be sa- I'm gonna sacrifice 20 points in projection? Like, why? That doesn't gain you any extra relative value. You could sacrifice three points in projection and be in plenty leveraged against nine opponents. Maybe we probably don't even have to do that. At one point, you may be fine. You have enough equity now that it's like oh boom done plus EV large field. You, you now you're going to be playing. You're playing practically a cash lineup. Got a lot of min cash equity, but you're sharing a lot of points with a lot of people in the field. So that's that's the only difference. So in smaller field contests, you're you're going to be to play a higher projected lineup. But you also have to realize in smaller field contests, other people are playing. Other people are playing high projected lineups also. And because more people are playing higher projected lineups, the higher projected players will be much higher owned. That's why you'll see, you know, the guy that's thirty percent owned in the large field, maybe fifty-five percent owned in your small field contest. So a lot of the the higher project like the the group of higher projected players from a point per dollar standpoint, you know, the six or seven, they're going to be much higher on than they would be in the large field because so many more people are playing them because they project well, which means there's more leverage available to you. There's more, there's more benefit in fading one or two of those players. Not all of them. You fade all of them, your projection will be too low. So he, he's still got to play. He's probably still playing chalky, some chalky players because you don't need to play that low projected lineup. But you're going to sacrifice five points in projection or something like that, probably in a lot of contests—five points, seven points, whatever, whatever it is. How do you get? How do you drag that down and drag your ownership down also? Well, if you if you fade the six best projected plays, you're you're, you're going to be too low projected. If you play the six highest owned players, you'll be very high projected, but you'll be very high owned also. So that, what's what's the middle ground for that? Well, which ad, if there were six chalky players, which two do I fade? Whichever two you want. Doesn't matter. You're playing lineups, not players. That's it. That's small field stuff. Well, it's the same as large field stuff, just scaled down. That's it. Well, how about if I'm playing a 3,000-entry contest? How come I, if I'm playing a 500-entry contest? It's all on the spectrum. There's no such thing as, well, this is small field. This is mid size. This is what... No, you're thinking the same way no matter what size contest you're playing. You're building lineups, not players. You're building lineups, balancing projection versus ownership. And the more opponents that you're playing against, the more projection you're willing to sacrifice. As long as you're getting an ownership discount. But also understand that the size of the field, the the number you're using for ownership is going to be different. So if you're building small field lineups using large field ownership numbers, you're not going to be as accurate. It's like, oh, well, Derek Henry is going to be 35% owned and he'd probably be... 50% owned in what you're playing. Did you account for that? No. Well, you should. Your lineups may not be as leveraged or as plus EV as they could in the small field contest if you're using large field GPP ownership. AS comedy says the contest styles with the least amount of content attached to it is the best to grind. Yeah, that's true. Clay Davis says, "Can you please show me how to link the projection to the prize pick? I can't find the video where you show how to do it. It's an ex- it's a Chrome extension. Just download the Chrome. You had number one. You have to be a Roto Grinders Premium member, right? And then you get the you get the Roto-Grinders, Roto-Grinders prize picks tool, there you go, put it, put it in Chrome and then you get the overlay, or you could just go to the projection screen. All you have to do is click on the things that say those things. James McGuire says, I found you get more leverage on the well-projected players in large field stuff as well. That's correct. So you get more value, quote, eating chalk in large field than you do in smaller fields. Yes, I've said this many times. I am technically more contrary in small field than I am in large field. And that's primarily because most DFS players don't understand the difference between chalk and ownership. Oh, I gotta fade the chalk. Like chalk is just a term. It's a descriptor. Chalk describe is a raw it, chalk is, I think, more of a raw is a raw descriptor. Who's the chalk? You're basically saying who are the high, who are the players that are gonna be the highest owned? But that doesn't tell you anything. Oh, I know in DFS, and I need to get leverage by 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 fading people, by fading high ownership. Like, that's, that's not true. That would be incorrect. You actually may be actively getting worse lineups because you're fading chalk. You go, what? So I need to play chalk? It's like you're using the term chalk wrong. That's just the raw descriptor of ownership. What you probably should be doing is playing under-owned players more and then over-owned players. So chalk just means high-owned. It doesn't mean overowned, especially in a game in like basketball and NBA. A lot of times you're playing a lot of chalk and you go, well, why am I playing 64% owned X? He's the highest owned player. Shouldn't I be fading him? I said, yeah, but look at his projection. He goes, yeah, he's projected extremely well. I go, yeah. So he should be an 84% owned, not 64% owned. So actually he's under-owned. He's the highest owned player and he's under-owned which means you're actually gaining relative value by playing him. So why aren't you playing him in like all of your lineups? Because he's the chalk. That's improper understanding of, of relative value. So in NFL and in, in large field, a lot of times the highest owned players may actually be under owned because there's a lot of people that play like NFL milli contests that are playing really suboptimal lineups. So you may find players that are like, you know, he's 22% on, but he probably should be 28%. Right? So you play more of them, actually. He's like, oh, you play a lot of the higher-owned players in large field GPPs. I said, yeah, because a lot of the higher-owned players are the high-projected players, and they're actually under-owned. There's too much of the field aren't even able to identify who the best projected players are. In small field, it's a different story. Small field a guy that's twenty two percent in large field that should be twenty eight percent. It's like forty percent in small field that should only be thirty four percent. So now he's overowned. So it's like so in the large field contest, I'm more likely to like let me just play a lot of a lot of the chalk. Maybe not in combinatorially together. Not gonna play six of the chalkies players all together in one lineup probably but I'll be probably playing a lot of them because they project the best and I could get different elsewhere because they're going to be under-owned in large field contests. Even though they're the most owned, they're probably still under-owned a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. Then the small field stuff, a lot of those players are over-owned. There's more benefit in fading them. So my small field, if you want to call a thousand to 5,000 entries, small field, my spy lineups, my red zone lineups, those types of stuff may look weird. may look like, wow, you you faded like two of the best plays on the slate in this lineup. I go, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's not like I was playing like the bottom of the barrel stuff. I played, so I played all the second tier projected plays. I played a weird stack and then with the chalk, right? Something like that. And then the large, you look at the large field lineups and you go, oh, these large field lineups don't look, don't really feel all that contrarian. Yeah, you got a piece here and a piece there and a, You know, you got three guys in your lineup that it's like, okay, you correlated that, whatever, but everything else kind of looks, kind of looks, doesn't look that different. So yeah, because there's a lot of ownership on people that shouldn't have ownership. And there's three guys in this lineup that should be twice as owned as they should be, but they're not. So why aren't they playing? I'm just going to play. That's the difference. That's how contests are different from one another. The ownership is going to be different. The strength of the field is going to be different. The NFL Millie is is the weakest field in all of DFS. There's so many bad lineups in it. A large field in NBA on a Tuesday may not be that weak. Not as weak as NFL. A random August... Thursday MLB slate? Like how much casual participation is happening then? Most likely you'll be playing against a lot, of, a lot of good players, even in a large field. Large field has 10,000 entries. More than half of them are going to be 150 maxers. So it's like you're, you're playing against a pretty sharp field. So you have to, sharp field will have sharper ownership. So you have to adjust based on that. NBOT says do you play if there's no projected ownership example being World Cup RG didn't have projected ownership so skip or play anyway well soccer is my main sport so uh I don't need to worry about ownership in soccer not saying that I don't I don't do ownership in soccer it's just that I don't have to worry about it because I could I could, I could project I can project ownership myself in soccer so I don't have to worry about soccer but every anything else no I would never I would never play a I would never play a sport where I couldn't project the ownership at minimum that I didn't know it enough. Like people ask, Oh, why don't you play college football? It's like, I don't, I don't know anything about college football or college basketball. I go, I I, I don't, I don't, but we have projections. I, I don't know the context of anything and I wouldn't be able to, well, what is the, how is the ownership change going to be? I, I don't know. I don't know anything. I just don't know it. Why don't you play NHL? I, I don't know it. Not only that I don't know the sport, I just don't know the DFS landscape of how people react to certain things. How projections, how, oh, this thing's going to change. That The goalie's going to be out and people are going to play the second line from this team. I don't know. I don't know any of that context. And I'm the type of person, if I, if I either I learn the context and spend the time to do that, or I just don't play. I want to get my money in good. So I don't mind playing less if I could constantly get my money in good. I don't think in terms of, oh, there's nothing going on today. Let me play NHL. Like, no, if I'm going to play NHL, I'm going to play NHL every day for an entire season. If I'm not willing to do that work, then I just don't do it. I don't play it. So soccer, soccer is my main, soccer is the sport I started with. So yes, I've been playing soccer DFS for over seven years. It's what I played exclusively in the beginning. So yeah, I, I, I don't care about I don't need projected ownership. I don't have, I don't need projected ownership for soccer. I primarily play cash and small field GPPs in soccer anyway. So I don't even need to project the guy. I, okay. This center back on this underdog is going to be like barely owned. Is he going to be 2% or 1%? Don't care. Like, I don't care about any of that. Like, I know it's like I look at this and I go, okay. Kevin De Bruyne's about 64% owned. Trent Alexander Arnold, he'll be 70%. On, I mean, like, just he could, I could do an EPL slate and go, okay, here's the group of people that are going to be very heavily owned. And here's a couple of people that are going to be like 10% owned or 15% owned. And then there's going to be a bunch of people that are like 2% owned. And most of the time, the people that are 2% owned, I'm not even playing. because I'm playing in like a 134-man, you know, $300 GPP. So those 2% owned players, I'm probably, I don't even have to care that much about. Dave Clark says, that's one of the biggest things that I always miss, determining over-owned, under-owned for the contest that you're in. Yeah, welcome to DFS. That's how you build plus EV lineups. You want to build lineups that have a higher equity in the payout structure based on the probabilities of, of the lineup placing over other lineups compared to what they're going to be owned in the contest. So you're getting points that your opponents aren't. Hingo, a millie lineups are bad because they're looking to be different, giving the chance to be unique and win. Isn't that what you advise? No, that's not what I advise. You shouldn't look. It. This is this is the point. Your goal is not to be different. Your goal is not to be unique. You're misconstruing what the goal is. You're thinking too feebly. Oh, I need to be different in, 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 in the millionaire make. Okay, let's do this. Hingo, I'm going to build a contrarian lineup for, for Sunday slate. Okay, for, for Sunday for, for slate, for Saturday slate, because I have the NFL up. Okay? Now, I know we don't have projected ownership. We don't, we really, whatever. I'm not even sure if the projections are even, you know, these are like the algorithmic whatever. Okay? So I'm going to build, I'm going to build a lineup. Okay. Now I can build this lineup. I'm going to press the optimize button, right? Projection is 139.57, okay? I can build this line if I want, right? I could, but I'm not. I want to be different, okay? I want to be very different. So I'm going to build, let's go here. I'm going to build uh, Davis Mills. Not even Davis, let's do Sam Darnold. Okay, I'm going to do a Sam Darnold stack. Sam Darnold from Carolina. I'm gonna pair him. Pair him with two receivers with uh Shy Smith, right? At 3K. And and yeah, I gotta play DJ Moore. I'll play DJ Moore. That's fine. And DJ Moore. I'm gonna have a run back on Detroit. I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play DJ Shark as my run back. Okay. Now I want to play uh, – I'm going to play, let's see, a running back. Okay, what running back do I play? I want to get different. Can't play McCaffrey, right? He's going to be owned. is going to be owned. Henry's going to be owned. I'm going to play different. I'm going to play Cordell Patterson in my running back spot. Uh, Baltimore's on the other side, so I'm going to play Mark Andrews on the other side of, of – so I have two sides of a game, right? I mean, that's, that's what I – Correlation, why not? Okay. Now I'm going to play, let's see. Now what do I do? Running back, another running back, and a flex position. So I'm going to play another running back. I'm going to play, maybe I play Nick Chubb. Yeah, let me play Nick Chubb. No one's playing, no one's going to play Nick Chubb in a game with a that low of a total or whatever. I'm going to play Nick Chubb. Then I want to play someone on New Orleans on the other side. Or maybe not even. I have a lot of money left. Who's, who's in my flex? Who's in my flex gonna be? I could pay up. I could pay up in my flex. Right? In this lineup, I'm, I'm gonna play Steph Diggs. Or AJ Brown. I'll play no one's gonna play AJ Brown with Hertz out. Well, that's a really that's a really sharp play. Right? Where did he go? Where did AJ Brown go? A.J. Brown. Oh, there we go. Lock him in. I got 5,100 left. I'll just leave money on the table because that'll be different. And I'll play the Bills defense at 4,000. This is a different lineup. Right? Sam Darnold, a Carolina stack. Right? Leaving, I play the pay up a defense, leave 1,100 on the table. This is a very different lineup it also projects for 39 points lower than the line the optimal lineup 39 points lower you know what you're probably going to see this this type of lineup in the middle. you're going to see lineups that look like this and i could have i could have changed this to anything <clears throat> you're going to see lineups that literally Project for 40 points lower than your lineups. They're different and they're horrible. They're giving up way too much projection. You want to get different enough, not different. You want to get different enough. You're weighing the difference of projection versus ownership. But in the Millie, because so many people are like, I can, I need to play different. I'm gonna play, they're gonna play a lineup like this. Like, dude, they're they're giving up 20 points too. They're giving 20 points of projection for no reason. I can play a lineup that is as leveraged as this that projects for 20 points higher. Those are the lineups that you should be playing, not just different lineups. Right? So unless you're looking to sacrifice 40 points, you shouldn't. I mean, those are bad lineups. But you're going to find 5 to 10% of the Millie lineups are going to look like that. You won't find that in, in, in NBA or MLB daily sports with not as many bad players in it. The bad lineups aren't going to be that badly projected. But in NFL, you'll find that in the Millie. So it's not about being different. About being different enough. Weighing the difference in projection versus ownership. So yes, you have to be different enough. Not just simply like, oh, I'm just going to play, I'm going to play the worst projected lineup possible. You're right. It's different, but it's, it's the difference that it is doesn't make up for the fact that it, it's almost like playing with two less spots in your lineup. That's how low projected it is. From a range of outcomes standpoint. Daniel Hutchings says, so far the thing taking my time with NHL is managing scratches and line changes. Yes, that's that's what I've seen. I don't play NHL. Seems to be somewhere between MLB and NBA, but closer to MLB. Yeah, that's what it seems like to me. MLB is the easiest, right? He says, minimal pain in the ass. Right, MLB, I can play every day. MLB is no problem. Yeah, occasionally you don't have the Angels lineup or some the, the Giants lineup is that isn't out, and then uh, Darren Ruff is in and not Jock Peterson or whatever the hell because they have that Lamont Wade isn't in and you got to switch out one you like gotta gotta do something in those lineups because it hit lock. That isn't that big of a deal usually. You're just gonna fit in the other player, right? And if the salaries don't line up, then great. Now instead of having a five three lineup, you have a four three one. It's like, oh, the $3,200 player isn't in. So, like, what? Is there another $3,200 outfielder? Yeah, okay, give me that guy. Just, just swap and That's it. And you're probably not giving up much doing that. Like, that's what happens in MLB. NBA is, like, I mean, NBA is like a full-time job. Right, Daniel says maybe one out of ten MLB slates is a real pain. Usually, it's the usually it's the weekends. Usually, like the Sunday, the Sunday afternoon stuff, that's typically the pain in the ass. Right, playing the Sunday one o'clock, because what ends up happening on Sundays is, is number one that these teams don't get their the managers don't get the lineup the starting lineups in as quickly as you'd see in uh, on on a on a weekday night, and then also Sundays they they tend to give like you know, the catch, the catchers playing is getting off because he caught the day before, or this guy's going to get like, they, they give guys off more. Some guy's going to be off on Sunday and you're not going to know, right? It's going to be, it's going to be 10 minutes before lock. And you finally get, you know, the three 30 games lineups. And it's like, Oh, Mike Trout, isn't in, it, Right. Or something like that. Right. Oh, Freddie Freeman isn't playing first base today for the Dodgers. I, 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 what happened there? Right. That you'll more likely get that on Sunday. Okay. Anything else before we get out of here? Discussed some random stuff today. Taught taught some things, right? Answered some questions. Isn't that bad? <coughs> but all the, this type of stuff that I talk about is in the theory of daily fantasy sports. There's nothing I. There's nothing else more than this. If you were to get both of these courses, the 15-hour fundamentals masterclass. And the six hour advanced players course, which includes all the custom Excel tools. Unless 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 you're looking to reinforce knowledge, there's no need to watch the show anymore. Like you could just listen to 21 hours. There's not there's nothing more. There's nothing more to this. There's nothing more I can teach you. All I'd be doing is repeating myself. So that's it. That's all you need to do. I wish I had this. Back in 2015, I had to go through 400 hours of content. I had to spend 16 hours a day going through, picking and pick, like, okay, what does that really mean? And then doing, kind of doing the math and going, yeah, that that makes sense that way. And kind of relating a lot of stuff to poker. Well, that's very similar to poker when you're, you know, determining the range of your opponent's hands. They're like, oh, okay, that's very similar to that. And you're kind of piecing. The game theory together until you once you start thinking in that mindset, then the sky's the limit at that point. <coughs> then everything's a probability, everything's a spectrum, everything's more likely, less likely. Players don't matter anymore. I mean, like it when, once you do that, it it opens your eyes to everything. Now you could attack sports betting. You could attack prop betting. You could you could attack anything, any type of wagering or anything, once you think any game. Right? You can go sit down and play backgammon and go, okay, now I understand I understand this game. Right? Chess, maybe not so much. So chess is a game of perfect information. But that's it. Go to theoryofdfs.com, pick up the courses. Let me teach you. And then you always have a reference guide. You feel free to people listen to chapters over and over again. That's what I did with poker books. Right? I'd read poker books multiple times you play you read you play you read you play you read you play you read and you get better and you learn to do things in real time then it starts becoming instinctual then you just start knowing things it's like well how did you know that this person was going to do xy it's like i i i don't know i've just been i've just been observant i'm like i know it's like okay half the time he has this and 25% of the time that guy has that if i raise there of the time and just just because it becomes part of like just the nature of how you think that the same thing could happen in DFS. So theory of DFS.com. Travis Selby blender. Can you export the CSV from results DB to analyze sharp players with the contest reviewer? Uh, as, as if it's the, if it's the normal DKC CSV, yeah, that's the point. You could take a contest CSV from any DraftKings slate and put it in the contest reviewer, but I mean, essentially, the contest reviewer in theory of DFS is quite similar to what Results DB is. The layout of the information you may like a little bit better, and it's also it's obviously a little bit slower because if you, if, especially if, like if you're downloading the Millie and you're putting it into the Excel, you're probably going to have to leave your computer for a couple of minutes, right? Because there's a lot of entries, so it's a little bit slower for for a very large contest like that. But yes, you you could you could just import any 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 CSV from DK, as long as it's the contest CSV. So you can review anything you want there. Okie doke. Hit the thumbs up button on your way out the door. Give me the thummy thumbs thummy thumbs. First day of winter tomorrow, even though it's cold as hell here anyway, right? He had cold as hell anyway. Uh, And uh, yeah, NBA coming up later today on the channel. NBA Grinders Live, the prop shop. I think the prop shop is coming up later today. There's a lot of stuff. We do tons of stuff. Food for thought with Carlucci and Will, and they they do a podcast. It's a podcast feed. There's everything. Why aren't you subscribed to this channel? Why don't you subscribe to Roto-Grinders? Click on the link in the description. Get $10 off your first month. Remember, we got we got the main slate is on Saturday this week for NFL. But the content is all the same. I'll still be doing the game theory show on Friday, right? The pre- premium show. We have no MMA. We have no MMA for pretty much a month. So Fred Friday is just going to be casual Friday. It's going to be casual week. Just it to be, hey, it's the holiday season. We'll be maybe we'll sing some Christmas carols or something. I have no idea. Whatever you want to do. Whatever it is you want to do, I'm here for you. Answering your DFS strategy questions, Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.